Welcome to Going the Distance Mentor Seminar in Sport and Life. This is a collaboration between the Gold Coast Marathon and Southern Cross University. My name is Dr. Chris Stevens, and I will be your host for today's webinar. Firstly, I'd like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the lands on which we meet today and pay my respects to elders past, present, um, and especially those who are joining us today. This webinar is designed to help you prepare for the Gold Coast Marathon running events, um, but also give you some strategies that you might be able to use in your personal and professional life as well. Let's get started by introducing our panel for today. We have Benita Willis. Benita is an Australian long distance runner, a three-time national champion in the women's 5,000 metres, and is an official ambassador for the Gold Coast Marathon. She was a gold medalist at the 2004 IAAF World Cross Country Championships and also won teams medals at that competition on two occasions. She has competed at the Summer Olympics four times and has twice represented Australia at the Commonwealth Games. Her unique elite background and expertise allow Benita to help people achieve their goals with individualised online run coaching through her business, Lace Up Running. Our next panel member is Christian Swan. Christian is an associate professor in psychology at Southern Cross University and leads the physical activity, sport and exercise research theme within the Faculty of Health. Christian's research focuses on how to set goals effectively, the psychology of exceptional performances and the promotion of mental health through sport. And he'd never tell you, but he's also a pretty decent golfer. So Christian can offer some insights from an athlete's <laughs> perspective as well. We have Jenna Buchan. Jenna is a lecturer in sport and exercise science at Southern Cross University, accredited exercise physiologist and wellbeing coach with a passion for education. She is also a competitive beach volleyball player who has taught a wide range of exercise science and exercise physiology units at the university level for more than 11 years. In her clinical research, she has a background in running exercise and oncology trials with an interest in goal setting, habit formation and enhancing wellbeing beyond the physical domain. And finally, I'm an Associate Professor in Sport and Exercise Science at Southern Cross University as well, and an accredited sports scientist with Exercise and Sports Science Australia. And I've got some experience supporting elite race walking athletes prepare for major events, and I'm also a keen runner myself. So with the introductions done, we're going to get into it. We are uh, just, over, just over two months, two and a half months we've got before the event, so I'm going to start with a, a broad question to hopefully help everyone with their preparation. I'm going to come to you first, Benita. How should people be preparing for these running events over the next few months? And also, how does it differ between the different events that we have in the Gold Coast Marathon, all the way from the, the 5K through to the, the full marathon distance? Yeah, thanks. Look, um, if we're looking at, say, uh, if you're in the marathon, the marathons, it's such a long way. So you really need to start focusing your training um, on specific long runs um, and they need to start pretty soon. So you need to sort of figure out what you think you might run for the marathon. Um, and it's fine if it's your first one and you just want to get through it and, you know, run or walk the whole way, that's fine. But if you're trying to get a goal for the marathon, figure out what pace that might be. So say if you're trying to break three hours and that's 4.15 per K, you need to do a fair bit of your training at that sort of pace. So you're practicing your marathon pace. And I always think you've got to keep up your interval type training um, each week. So you need to be running some intervals that, that are faster than your marathon pace. So they might be, you know, 
you might, you might do some K reps at four minute pace or, or something like that, something about your 10K pace. So you need to be able to run faster than your marathon pace in the interval sessions and shorter races. So when you get into your marathon pace, it, it should feel quite comfortable. I always think too, with, with a marathon, it's really good to do a half marathon in the prep about three to five weeks out. And it just gives you practice at, at race day specific stuff. So in that half marathon, you pick um, and you could do a 20K or a half marathon running training. It doesn't have to be a race, but practice what you're going to eat before your marathon, practice this before the half, you know, practice your marathon pace maybe for the first 15K of, of the half marathon or whatever hit out you do and then try to run a bit faster at the end practice your fueling so whatever you think you're going to do in the marathon practice this in a race situation um, in your half because you know we always practice we always say practice in training but when you get it actually into a race you get a bit nervous and and maybe you need to change a few things up so it's really important to practice once um, if you can in a race situation and then going to the marathon, obviously, we, make, we need to make sure we taper. And I always look at tapering, probably at least starting to taper two weeks out. And we're all different with tapering. You don't dramatically reduce your volume, but try to reduce it a, a bit two weeks out. And especially that last weekend before the marathon, um, I wouldn't be running any more than sort of uh, 15K for the long run um, and nice and easy as well. So you want to do a few marathon pace efforts in there just just so so your body is ready to run hard but you don't want to do too much that you know I've got I've had made mistakes in my career before where I've probably run my marathon in training three weeks before the actual marathon so I've gone a bit too hard in training and when you start feeling good that's sort of what you want to do but um, just make sure that you hold it back and save it for the race and look, if you're running 5K, 10K or half marathon, I think the training for all those races are quite similar. So the marathon's quite different. And those races, you really need to be doing lots of interval sessions and lots of tempo type runs. So if you're training for the 10K, you need to be able to do interval sessions, like even 400s that are 5K pace or faster or, or things like that, you know, hill reps, uh, shorter, shorter sort of efforts. And sometimes you have long recovery so you can run a bit faster. Um, and if you're training for the half marathon, it's all sort of the same thing. Make sure you do some tempo runs in there too, because it really helps top up um, your aerobic system. But it's good to have a bit of variation in your training. So not, don't just sort of do every run the same. We all have a tendency to get out there and we might run five days a week and just run hard every run for five days a week. But you want to have really easy days to say, say if you're training for the marathon, you're trying to break three hours and your pace is 4.15, your easy runs should be slower than five minute pace. I think recovery is key and making sure that you enjoy what you're doing as well because that's sort of the, the top of um, my list, enjoyment and recovery. I mean, then obviously doing the right training, but you need to be enjoying it first, first and then everything else comes under that. Yeah, nice. And, and you spoke about practicing pacing as well. What what can go wrong? It's it's a long day if you if you go out those first couple of kilometers too hard, isn't it? Yeah, look, it it's a long day, and like we all feel awesome at the start of a marathon. And look, I've been in um I did uh, Chicago Marathon one year, and I remember. Um, the day before the race, I, I did my last um, just a shakeout run uh, with a guy that I knew from New Zealand and and he was telling me what, pa what pace and what he was going to run in the race the next day. And then um, I saw him after the race and I said, oh, how'd you go? And he goes, oh, DNF'd. And he just went out way faster than he said he would. And look, that's a common mistake because he told me, oh, I felt so good. So I just went for it. But look, our training sort of should indicate what shape we're in. And you're not going to sort of all of a sudden gain fitness just by going fast and hoping that you're going to hold on. Like the marathon's sort of, you've got to really make sure that, you know, you stick to your pace. And and if you don't know your pace, that's fine. But if it's your first marathon, um, I would be conservative rather than aggressive with the pace. And at Gold Coast Marathon, they have heaps of pace groups. So if it's your first marathon, you know, you might try to do it in five hours or six hours. So you just run with that pace group, but you're always going to feel good. So um, I've definitely done 
done that before. Um, I've gone too hard in the first sort of 15k of a marathon and although I finished the race you pay for it in the second half and it's a brutal way to run a marathon so I would say yeah just make sure you're relaxed at the start and go even slower than you think you should but if you've got if you've got a pace in mind and you see the pace groups running it with a pace group can really help because you can just relax and you don't have to sort of worry about you know looking at your watch all the time you just relax and um, and let the the case tick over and the biggest thing in the marathon is is being relaxed for as long as you can so if you can relax until 35k you're probably going to run a really good marathon it's it's how you control your emotions and the people that have run the best marathons they they keep their emotions fairly steady people you know that tend to sort of have really you know high emotional high at the start and then they get have a low like it and it just roller coasters the whole way that just takes energy away from um, your race so just try to think of being relaxed as you can for as long as you can and conservative um christian you're leading a line of research at Southern Cross University based on goal setting in sport and exercise. What are some of the key things that you've found with this research so far? Yes, we're leading a line of research here, which is essentially trying to figure out what the best ways of setting goals to help people get the most out of the activities they're engaging in, whether that's in running or other forms of exercise or in sport. We know that different types of goals do different things. And if the runners out there are sort of looking for guidance on how to set goals for the Gold Coast Marathon events. And if you just Google that, you're likely to come across lots and lots of guidance around setting SMART goals. And you'll probably hear that your goal should be specific. And that's a really common assumption sort of worldwide that if you're going to set a good goal, it, it better be specific, otherwise it's not going to work. And so there's a sort of a misconception that goals are sort of a one-size-fits-all. But the work we're doing is busting that myth a little bit. And we're actually seeing that there's very different types of goal uh, doing different things. And so the real skill to goal setting is understanding which type of goal to use in which situation to help you get the most out of it. And so we know that, for example, in, in what Benita just talked about, there are people who will have run loads of marathons, loads of events, will be really highly experienced and, and elite and very skilled. But there's also people who are going to be uh, first-timers and won't know what they're doing. And Google will tell them that they should set the same type of goal. And smart goals and specific goals will probably work really well if you're elite and you're experienced or you've, you know, you've run a number of events before. But a very different approach is likely to lead to better outcomes if this is your first time. And that sort of links back to how goal setting originated as a, as, a, as a topic. It came from the workplace where essentially it was a tool for managers to get more out of their employees. And those employees already knew how to do their jobs. So adding goals helped them sort of get squeeze a few more percent out of their productivity. But obviously that's very different if someone's just learning how to do the task in the first place and doesn't really know how to do it yet. So our research is focusing on um, what to do when you're not suitable for a SMART goal or it might not be set up best for you. And based on the studies that we've conducted so far at Southern Cross University, our advice at this stage, if you're aiming for the Gold Coast Marathon events, regardless of the, um, the distance and it's your first time, our advice would be to try what we call an open goal. And open goals are commonly phrased like, see how well you can do or see how fast you can run the 5K event on that day. Um, so they're quite exploratory, open-ended. They don't attach a, a specific number or time to the outcome. And the, the data that we've got so far suggests that uh, for those individuals who haven't had that experience yet, uh, they're likely to lead to just as good 
an outcome, if not slightly better outcomes than SMART goals. But really importantly, they're going to lead to much better psychological outcomes uh, and much better experience on the day. So we know from the studies we've done so far that they're likely to help you enjoy it more. You'll feel a lot less pressure. Uh, you'll feel more confident and you'll feel like you've done a better job on the day. So that's that's quite important, particularly if it's your first time. And yeah, you know, obviously a lot of those times um, when it is your first go, you just want to have a good experience and, you know, you hopefully want to come back and do it again afterwards. So the research that we're doing, yeah, is really trying to nail down what type of goals going to suit which people in which situations, help people understand different types of goal and, and know when to use different types of goal for, for different things and ultimately help people feel better while they're doing the task and uh, hopefully achieve good outcomes on the day as well. Would it be okay to have the goal to sprint the first 200 metres of the marathon to try and get on TV? You know, that shot that you often get that um, everyone wants to be in? I'd possibly defer to Benita on that one. <laughs> um, but, it, you know, it's it's an important thing because especially if you are sort of thinking about events like the Gulf Coast Marathon, you often feel like you should have some kind of target in mind to give you direction and, and to help you, you know, structure your uh, training plan, for example. And so it can be a really easy thing to just pluck something out of thin air and say, yep, I'll go and do that. But we know it's it's quite a sophisticated process to get it right. Um, I'm sure Benita's experience, you know, will will tell you that it's not a straightforward thing necessarily. And if you are unsure, then what we've found so far is is that really quite forward phrase of just aiming to see how well you can do. Starting with that will help you sort of build up a bit more knowledge and understanding and see how you're tracking. And then gradually you might be able to add in specific targets once you feel you're you're ready for them. Yeah. And you and you also ran a survey. Uh, last year with um, the Gold Coast Marathon to try and understand how how runners in the event set their goals. What did you find in that? Yeah, we did. So we, we were really lucky um, to send out pre-race survey and post-race surveys last year. And we had around 800 people fill in both, uh, including 235 superstars who um, we were able to match their data for, for both surveys. And the results are really interesting. We're in the process of really understanding the ins and outs of everything that we've got. Obviously, that's a lot of data. But what we see so far is that across all of the events of the Gold Coast Marathon uh, weekend, 65% of people set specific goals and 35% of people set sort of more open-ended goals. So that's actually quite a lot of people who are setting the non-specific goals, which I think is a good thing for, for them. 30% of participants failed to, to achieve their goals. So one thing we're thinking about is, well, does that matter? And again, I suspect it's, it's possibly different between first timers and people who are quite experienced. And, you know, experienced runners will, will often use specific goals to challenge themselves and push for a new PB, for example. And for them, it might not matter if they might not matter so much if they fail to achieve that goal because they're they're runners. They do it all the time. They probably have other events lined up. So in terms of their sort of attachment or engagement in running, it, it might not make a huge difference, but it, it could affect someone who's a first timer quite considerably. And, um, you know, the worst case scenario is that you, you go and you manage to successfully complete that distance, whether it's 5k or a marathon, but you're disheartened because you didn't achieve the specific goal that you plucked out of thin air six weeks ago. And that could put you off. And actually the data that we found so far suggests that there's around a 6% difference between the likelihood of coming back to do the event again, depending on whether you achieved or failed your goals. So again, we haven't really drilled down into that properly, but there's definitely something there around 
the impact of achievement and failure in terms of your your subsequent motivation to come back and do it again. So there's lots there, but some really interesting sort of headline findings already. And again, it sort of links back to what uh, I just mentioned a little while ago around if you are lining up to do it this year, think carefully around the type of goal that you're keen to pursue. If you feel like a specific goal might not be ready for you just yet, then start out with something non-specific in the first instance and, you know, get into training, gradually build up. And, you know, if you're ready for a specific goal or you have a coach and you're um, prepared to work towards a specific goal, then fantastic. But don't feel like you need to if it if it doesn't feel like it suits you. And feel free to just challenge yourself to see how well you can do on the day. And that's totally fine and likely to give you a, you know, a hopefully a good experience on the day as well. Benita, what, what types of goals do you set with with your athletes and, and also what training techniques do you use to um, help you prepare mentally before a run? I'm, I'm also interested in, in what your routine was in, in those major events that you competed in, such as the Olympics as well. Yeah, it's interesting hearing about the non-specific goals because I've never thought of it like that. And I've had athletes in the past or not necessarily athletes, but, you know, rec runners that have come to me for coaching and have tried and tried to achieve you know, X time at this race, X time at this race, and they haven't achieved it. And they've just been battered down again and again. And they've come to me for coaching. And I sort of tend to take the approach of don't put pressure on paces for sessions, times for races. And they tend to run better than they've run before when they're sort of not chasing a specific time. And it's it's interesting because I've never thought of, thought of it like that. But for some people that I've worked with, yeah, that's been the best sort of thing that they could have done. So look, you know, as an athlete, when I was competing, I didn't even have a watch that kept the pace because it was before those times, which I think, you know, I was talking to someone about it the other day and um, you ran on feel most of the time, which I think, you know, for me, um, cross country was my best event and cross country is all about the competition. It's not about what pace you're running. It's all about where you come in the race. So it's about the conditions. It's about the course. Um, and it's about competing with other people. And I, I think, you know, for some people, you know, taking away their watch that, that gives them the paces, um, that might actually help them compete better and run better because, you know, you know what it's like, you look at your watch and you go, oh, I can't believe I'm running that slow. And then it, it gets you in this spiral of a downward momentum. And I was, like I had a pace to watch right at the end of my career, but certainly, you know, I think that can be one of those things where it might be a good thing to practice. And like I used heart rate a lot with my training. So I did tempo runs based on heart rate. And so if you, if you can have a look at your heart rate zones, then sometimes if you're a bit tired and your heart rate's slightly up, then you're not going quite as hard because you're going at heart rate. So you're actually doing something that's better for your body than having this pace to go and, and having something locked into your mind. And I'm going to do this no matter what. And it might put you in a, a big, a big hole training wise. So I did have, have goals, but I had a few years where I'd come off the year after I won a world championship. Um, I felt a lot of pressure from, um, you know, everyone's trying to beat me because I've just won the world cross country. And I felt like that year, my goals weren't to, to come top three. They were more to come sort of top 10 in events. And I never had pace specific goals because I didn't, didn't have the pace to watch. And I didn't have, um, even when I broke, I broke 11 Australian records in my career. I never um, went into any race thinking uh, to break this Australian record, this is the pace I need to run. I was always better when I just concentrated on the race and let the end result sort of take care of itself. And I think for a lot of people that 
that's a really good approach to take. And, and you know, look, with my coaching as well, um, people want paces and they want sort of targets. But sometimes when you just sort of take a step back and sort of just be try to be a bit more relaxed about it and, and run on feel, and I think you can kind of, you can't, for some people, they can get even better results. So that's sort of one, yeah, one area that, that's quite interesting, yeah, just hearing all those studies. And sorry, what was the second part? And it was about your mental preparation. Like what was your routine before a, a big event? Yeah, so mentally, um, I think... Mental preparation for me, I know I worked with a psychologist, a psychologist a bit in my career and I recorded a like a tape back then um, about sort of relaxing places and I mean, it was about like beach. So it was a bit of music and just talking about the beach where I grew up and I, sometimes I played sort of this before races when I was pretty nervous. But my routine was mostly to just to keep relaxed, keep around friends, um, try to, you know, have a, if I'm racing a late night race, because a lot of our races in those days were late at night um, at the track meet, you know, having coffee with people, just, just making sure that you stick to your normal daily routine. So when you come into race day, don't try to, you know, whether it's the Olympics, like I didn't do anything different in the Olympics as I did in just a, a race down the road in what, you know, the town I was living in. So just make sure you know, even if it's a big race to you, don't sort of think, oh, I've got to do all these things differently. Your routine, you've got to practice your routine um, and keep it the same, try to eat the same. That's one thing that'll help you feel more relaxed. I used to go to races and sometimes, you, you know, you go to races and you would even do this if you're going to the Gold Coast Marathon, you might have to arrive an hour and a half, two hours early. I used to always take trashy magazines to read. And like, look, there was no phones in those days or you didn't really have stuff on your phone to read. But like reading stuff that's just trash, that's nothing to do with the race. And then don't think about the race until just before you start to warm up. So a big thing for me was not going over the race over and over in my head, days out from the race. So especially when you're going into big races or races that, you know, you want to really focus on, don't sort of think try to think about it before you go to bed each night. And a lot of people sort of, they think that might help them really look. Sometimes um, you could think about it maybe when you're talking to your coach or thinking about it in the day or two before, um, and then forget about it and don't think about it till you, till you start sort of getting ready, ready for the race. And then look, once I got into races, I tend to find that say in a marathon, I might think about motivating people in my life for every different 5k that I was thinking about this person for 5k, this person for the next 5k, or I might even think about, you know, training sessions I've done and you know think back to a training session I've done and so if I'm at sort of 10k say I'm doing the marathon at Gold Coast Marathon if I'm at 10k think of where you're at at 10k in a training session that that you've done sort of a long run that you've done around where you live and at the time when I was living in in London and training for a marathon over in Chicago I'd think about all these places in Bushy Park in London where I'd train where and then think about that that 10k mark in my training in London when I was at 10k in the Chicago marathon and thinking back and and just sort of trying to really relax yourself and not thinking too much about the race you've got to almost be thinking about not too much for the first 30k and then really get more focused. Jenna what would your advice be for someone to help them manage their thoughts during a run? Yeah so thanks some really great points and a lot of you might be thinking oh it's easier said than done or I wish I could just switch off but a good thing is to recognize that the harder you try not to think about something, the more you tend to think about it. So starting to recognize, do I get really focused on my body? Am I quite kind of internally centered where I can feel and hear my heartbeat and I recognize my breathing and, oh, there's a pain in my foot. You know, if there's a rock in your shoe, please stop. That's worth acknowledging. But 
if you're someone that gets quite focused on that internal sensation, you know, start to notice the sounds around you. Challenge yourself to to look around at the scenery on race day. You know, there's so much going on externally. It can be a good way to kind of shift that mindset and to to pull yourself back into the moment in that space. If you're someone that's really focused on those external components where you might be, you know, checking your watch and really focused on keeping the pacing up, challenge yourself to run without your watch, to run out without your music, to really take those moments to shift back to that internal. And like Benita said, to run on feel sometimes, um, especially as your training increases, um, as you might, you know, today is going to be my hard run and then you don't sleep well the night before or you've got a lot of stuff that comes across your plate unexpectedly at work or with the kids or whatever it might be, taking those moments to tune into yourself a bit more will really help you make sure that you're getting the most out of your training sessions and not just doing it because it was the next thing on your agenda and on your routine. So starting to recognize, you know, if you tend to shift internally, challenging yourself to to change it up every now and then. And you know, take some time to to journal or to write your thoughts down, or if you're running with your phone to record them and just get them out rather than trying to shut them off. Cause it's that if I tell you not to think about a white elephant, that's the first thing that's going to come to your mind. And, and for people that are doing a lot of work, living a busy schedule, how can they get the most out of their recovery and, and sort of live a more holistic and healthy life? So I think with with something like this or any sport or goal that you're pursuing, you know, it's not just about that physical prep side of things. It's about recognizing that nutrition is really going to support your recovery. Using things like food prep because you know the week itself is hectic. So if you've got that Sunday afternoon or that Saturday morning to do your shopping, to get your food prep going, to take nutrition off the cards so that it's not something you try to find time for every day during a busy week to recognize how essential sleep is and start to come up with a routine around some of those components. Aim to have a consistent time to go to sleep. Aim to, you know, keep your sleeping environment cooler and aiming to have a consistency with when you wake up, keeping those types of things quite consistent to then make the other components quite consistent and you know, doing your stretching while you're watching TV or answering emails or sitting at your desk, finding those little opportunities. We often think if we can't, you know, allocate half an hour, an hour to something, then we just skip it. But recognizing those one to two minute little things can be so important, even if it's just sitting, having a drink of water, taking that time to wake up or sneaking in one minute of stretching while you're sitting, waiting for an email to come through. So finding those little opportunities, but building those into your routine and your training schedule as well, and not just that physical training side of things. Just off the back of what Jenna said there, Benita, I'm interested in your routine when your training was going really well. Did you did you find you had a, a really dialed in routine? Yeah, um, I think routine is really important. And I think when you see um, with a lot of athletes or even people that have had structured training um, that you've been coaching, when they stop training, whether they retire or they stop structured training, their routine falls away and they tend to sort of not achieve as much in any part of their life. So I think structure is really important and, and having a really good routine. For me, sleep, sleep's the number one recovery tool. I didn't use, you know, Normatec boots. I had, you know, used ice baths uh, after hard sessions just in my bath wherever I was living or, or um, cold streams if I was training at altitude. But I didn't use any other recovery techniques, really. I didn't stretch much. I really just, I think uh, nutrition and sleep and, and being able to relax. So 
when you're not, you know, when you're not looking after your kids, you're not training, um, you're not working, try to make sure you're having a bit of downtime. Um, and it's okay to just do nothing for a while, even though like I've got a little baby, I hardly ever do nothing um, now, <laughs> but I know when I was an athlete, you know, it's, you feel like sometimes, you know, doing nothing actually does help you recover and you've, you've got that luxury. And I know people that have, you know, busy jobs and families, like they don't have that luxury, but if you ever do, it, it is um, something that will really help. And Christian, with your research around goal setting, would that also apply to non-athletes and, and, and can people use those types of goals in, in their personal life or their, their work life as well? We think so. Yeah, we haven't conducted studies outside of sport and exercise at the moment, but there are other studies from other groups that are doing similar things and, and the research is suggesting that, yeah, you know, the same ideas do apply. And that makes sense as well, right? Like if we if we come back to the point that, in some tasks you'll be really familiar with and experienced in and in all the tasks you want, then obviously it makes sense that different types of goal would be relevant in different situations. And actually the biggest goal setting researchers in the world often talk about how you might be really competent in your job role and specific goals might work fantastically well, but you might get promoted, for example, into a management role, which requires a completely different set of skills. And they say that your previous skill setting approach won't apply as well in that new context until you've developed those skills again. So yeah, I think regardless of whether it's running or something outside of running, the basic premise of just thinking carefully around what type of goal you you, you want to set, um, knowing that there are different options and not feeling like you should just automatically set a smart goal because that's what Google says. And yeah, if you're not sure, then then just challenge yourself to see how well you can do it, whatever that task is. You know, that could be setting a savings goal. And if you have a really clear motivation to, you know, get a deposit ready for a new house, then obviously that mindset can be really conducive to a very specific target. And you might work out, you know, what daily and weekly savings you need. But if you just want to save more in general, then just seeing how much you can put away um, is a, a stress-free, low-pressure approach that will probably still see you saving a, a decent amount. And that's just one example from a, a non-sporting domain. But um, yeah, think carefully and feel free to not set smart goals. All right, well, I'm just about running out of questions. So what we might do is switch over to the audience questions. Currently, the most liked question comes from Legend. And his question is, is, is firstly for Christian. He's about to do, or the Legend is about to do an ultra marathon in New Zealand. And they'll be doing the um, Gold Coast Marathon in July. What would be your advice on the mindset for the last 10 kilometers of the race, which are always the hardest for them? Yeah. So I myself have only ever run up to half marathon. So I would also be really keen on Benita's thoughts on what I say here. But from a goal setting perspective, there's a really well-known effect called the goal gradient effect, which essentially means that the closer you get to your end point, the more motivated you're going to feel, assuming that that goal is specific. So based on that sort of well-known research in, in broader psychology, the end is actually, from a goal-setting perspective, probably quite a good time to set a specific goal if you haven't got one in the race so far. So, you know, if if in the earlier stages you're setting a, a, a non-specific goal or a more open-ended goal and you get into the last 10K, then if you check your watch, if you do some maths, if you set a specific goal at that stage – from a goal setting theory perspective, that's actually likely to give you a boost in motivation. And as you chase down that target, you're getting closer and closer to it. So you're likely to feel more and more motivated. Obviously, the big caveat to all of that is that your body's in a, a good enough shape to then go and 
pursue that goal. So I'd be really keen on Benita's thoughts on whether that makes any sense or whether I'm talking nonsense. Yeah, no. Um, yeah, that makes complete sense. For some people in that last 10K, um, you know, I, I think and momentum's a really good word and a good thing to think about. Um, for some people, seeing how many people you can pass in that last 10K and focus on that rather than um, what sort of specific time you're, you're getting. And I know the more people that you start passing, that gives you energy and it sort of gets your adrenaline going. And I know um, races I've done myself or people I've coached, if they sort of start a little bit more conservatively and they're running on in the second half um, and their last 10K, I know we're all breaking down, our body's breaking down in the last 10K of a marathon or these trail races, but the the stronger you're feeling and the more people you're passing, that's really going to help you um, get to the finish and, and maybe set yourself a goal of, what time can I do in the last 10K? So forget about what time you've done up up until 32K in a marathon and just see what time you can do in that last 10K and, and maybe have a think about that being a goal rather than the overall time. Our next question is from Harry Wood. A question for everyone. The main stretches to incorporate into your weekly training routine and is foam rolling overhyped? I'll jump in on that one to start. From, I guess, from the physiological side of things, from rolling kind of goes back and forth with it helps this, so it doesn't actually help this. A lot of it seems to come from kind of the perception of people with actually this makes me feel feel better. The most research supports maybe a slight improvement if it's done as part of the warm-up for a few physiological components. Typically, they tend to look at more kind of power sprint, non-marathon, type activities but a lot of people might find that if they do it at the end they feel quite good Um, it gives them at least this mental perception of having recovered a bit so there's that tough kind of balance of physiologically not too much saying everybody should run out and buy a foam roller and make sure they do it before and after everything but if mentally that's something that helps you get that sensation of a bit of recovery a bit of reduction in soreness um, then you know go for it Stretching consistency is probably one of the biggest keys to make sure you're getting benefits from it. Finding that routine again, you know, not feeling like you have to go to a one hour yoga session as a yoga teacher. I highly recommend that, but you know, it can be hard to find that and stretching often gets kind of pushed to the wayward because it's one extra thing that we feel like we have to do. Or if you've done a training session to then sit for 10 extra minutes and do some stretching um, can be challenging to add that one extra thing. So it might be something, again, you're doing sitting at your desk. There's some easy, simple stretches you can do in a chair for 30 seconds while you're watching TV, while you're helping the kids do homework, finding those little bits and times throughout your day. But if you're going to do it and really get benefits, it's having that kind of consistency of I'm doing it, you know, every other day where I can, rather than if I stretch once a week, um, you're probably not going to get too much from that. Benita, did you find stretching or foam rolling to be beneficial for you? Oh, no, I didn't, didn't do. I mean, occasionally I did foam rolling. Um, sometimes I took a foam roller to a training camp. I found soft tissue therapy um, probably the best. Mm. So massage, but like when I, I know we're not talking about that, but foam rolling a little bit I didn't stretch much I didn't do yoga but I'm sorry I'm not, I'm not promoting yoga um, but for, for me and my body um, yeah I found that recovering like for me was just trying to relax as much as I could and now yeah being a really busy mum I only have 
probably less than an hour a day where I can do something and I don't have, well, I could stretch, I, I could, yeah, I could do some stretching while my baby's playing, but yeah, I, I never did, never have done that too much. But I think as we get older, I think it's probably more important. And, you know, it's one of those things that, um, yeah, you get away with a lot of things when you're young. And what about plyometrics? Jackson's asked if, if what your view on it is and, and what would be some of the best exercises. So I feel like plyometrics is really good training for shorter distances. And when we're older, we have to be really careful with plyometrics because um, it can tend to cause injuries. Um, I know. So I was at the Australian Institute of Sport on scholarship in my sort of late teens, just before I was 20. And um, the running program at the time was going through a big stage of, of bringing in a lot of plyometrics. So that's like box jumps, lots of like one-legged jumps, you know, tuck jumps, heaps, like heaps of um, sort of hopping up a lot, of, like a lot of stairs on one leg. And I got my only stress fracture from doing that um, of my whole career. And I have tried plyometrics a bit with older people that I've coached over in America. And we used to do sort of a big, in, in the pre-season or base training phase, we used to do quite a bit of plyometric work and a few of them did get injured from it. So now with my coaching, I tend to think of sessions like hill sessions is more specifically running plyometrics for you. I think strength um, is, is more important than plyometrics as we get older. But it's really just managing that against, like against the sort of running you're doing as well. It can have a have a part to play, but I think it's really important not to overdo it, especially if you're training for something like the marathon, um, because a marathon takes out so much takes so much out of you. Um, I wouldn't do it in a marathon training phase. If I was going to do plyometrics, I'd do it in a base training phase where you're not really training for a specific races. Um, you're doing lots of jogging, uh, maybe tempo runs, um, lots of volume. And then that's when you can add in plyometrics and a bit more strength as well. I suppose your, your basic running drills could be classified as somewhat of a plyometric exercises. Did you, do you ever incorporate any running drills into your sessions? Yeah. So running drills, we do them sort of two to three times a week and they're yeah, there's lots of different um, different plyometric type running drills you can do and you can do them on, on grass and that even helps to sort of minimise the impact. And things like even um, you can do sort of bounding um, where you're sort of trying to stay up in the air as long as you can and landing on one foot and then you push off again. So it's sort of like slow motion running, but being in the air as a lot for a long time. You could do sort of jumps like frog jumps um, and see how many, how many jumps you can do to a certain cone. So anything that's sort of jumping related as well. Um, but even things like heel kicks and high knees. And we used to do one called high skip, which is sort of skipping, but um, really pushing off one leg to get to get air. And so things like that, I think, I think they're better and just doing little bits rather than, you know, doing really massive amounts of plyometrics in the gym or, or a lot of jumping and landing on hard surfaces. I think that can really sort of put a lot, a bit more, a bit too much pressure on your body. Um, and I'd just be careful of when you use that sort of training, but yeah, running drills you can use all year. And I think they're really important because they also help with, um, with running economy as well. So I think they're they're really important to, to put into any training program and you can do them before sessions. And even if it only takes five minutes, like it doesn't have to take long um, and, it, and it does have a lot of benefit. Rory Flanagan and a few others are asking about um, doing the marathon in, in the humid conditions of the Gold Coast, especially when they're coming from a, from a colder place like Victoria. Have you got any tips there? Yeah, that's a hard one. I saw that question. Um, look, like in an ideal world, you know, you'd want to come to somewhere that's humid to prepare, but you obviously you wouldn't, you're not going to be doing that. I think the only, the only thing, you know, you know the humidity is relatively low in Queensland in winter. Um, you can wear more clothes when you're running to, to sort of 
Um, like we used to do that um, some years preparing for hot, humid races. When I was living in London, we'd go out for runs and wear heaps of clothes, like track suits and waterproof track suits over the top. And like people would look at us like we're like very strange uh, running around. But, um, you know, you want to try to really make sure that you're sweating a lot and getting ready for, um, for a race that's going to be hot. So that's probably one of the tips that you could do. Um, but if you've got access to a treadmill um, where you could make the room really humid or hot, that's probably another one. Or go, to, you know, come out to Queensland and try to do a race before the Gold Coast Marathon somewhere. But that's that's probably not an option. But yeah, that's it's it's a hard one. But um, I think if you're prepared well, if you've prepared well, you're still going to run well. Adding in um, some regular hot baths or saunas is another way that that, that athletes can get some heat acclimation adaptations. There's techs and uh, some others that are interested in stitches. Why do I get stitches if I eat or drink before a long or a short run? How can I prevent this and stop feeling stitches during a run? Yeah, stitches is a hard one. You know, I know a lot of people, um, I tended to, if I got a stitch, tended to try to really um, focus on my breathing and slow the pace down as well. But yeah, I know um, some of the best athletes in the world have problems with stitches. And so I, yeah, it's a tough one. That's a tough one. But um, we need to, you need to practice drinking something and, and eating something before runs because you have to, you should do that before any race. Like you shouldn't go into a race, not having eat, eaten or drink, drunk anything since the night before. So that's how I tended to get rid of stitches. But yeah, I don't know. Um, I don't know any other, uh, any, any other advice. I've always found out stitches are caused by eating a certain type of thing too, too close to the run. I know some athletes that do get up a few hours earlier than what they would just to have their, their pre-race meal um, as early as possible to try and try and prevent that. So it's something you can experiment with in your own training, eating, eating your pre-race meal at different, different times or, or trying different foods to see, to see what's going to work on race day. Can I jump in on that one? There's a lot of nutrition questions in there. It's definitely something to try and get a bit more individualized support with, but really important, like Chris said, to to try and error things before race day. So that should be part of your training is figuring out what you're eating. Does it sit well with your body? What's the response? Um, you know, don't just grab a gel on the race because everyone else is and then realize that it doesn't necessarily end well. So you should always be kind of testing your nutrition side of things leading up to it, not just day of is the last thing you want to uh, get wrong on the day. I've got a lot of people that like to listen to music when they run and they're thinking about how they're going to adjust to running without that music. Does anyone on the panel have any advice around, around that one? Um, oh, I, yeah, so I didn't ever do any races um, without, with music, but I, I find that I really like to just keep looking at people running in front of me. And I know that sounds weird, but focusing on, um, you know, their numbers or different things um, or thinking about even different songs or thinking about different people um, in your life rather than having that music or just thinking about stuff that you really want to focus on each, each 5k. But yeah, I know some people think about even songs constantly over and over in their head, um, but I tended to like to um, just focus on the pack I was running with and just brief looks at surroundings, but more just focusing on people around me and um, and just my breathing and um, and trying to think about motivating people in my life. 
I was just going to say from a psychological perspective, there's also the element of just sort of appreciating what you're doing and taking it all in. And sometimes music can actually do the opposite of that. You sort of focus so much on the music, you you forget to, you know, enjoy running in front of the crowds and having them cheer you on and sort of taking in all the significance of the event and being able to do what you're doing. So yeah, just sort of tuning into that can also be a, a nice thing, especially if you are running in front of a, a crowd and they're clapping. And yeah, that's for most of us, that's probably not going to happen very often in our lives. <laughs> so probably a good thing to take in while you can. How do you psych- psychologically manage disruptions in training? Training for a marathon with young kids and a full-time job means that sometimes you need to skip a planned run during the week or cu- cut your long run short. How do you deal with these events but still get to the start line feeling like you've adequately prepared? And I might also throw in the injury factor in there, which we we didn't touch on. It's not uncommon for for runners to become injured and, and go through setbacks. Does anyone have any any thoughts on that? Um, I'll just speak about missing something in training. Um, just and like people miss stuff all the time, even elite athletes that it's their full time job. You know, they always miss things and don't think that you've got to make it up um, on a different day or you might think, oh, I missed two sessions last week. So this week I've got to add them into my already busy week. That's fine. If you miss a session, um, that's fine. Just focus on what you've got coming up. But if you miss a few long runs in a row, um, just remember that sometimes your long runs might be progressive. So just make sure that you don't keep progressing the volume that you haven't done. Say if your long runs are progressing by two to 5k each weekend and you've missed a few don't all of a sudden go from running a 20k run to a 35k run so just make sure you're always progressive and you know your longest run might end up being a little bit shorter than you'd planned but the the main thing is not adding in extra training and if you've missed something don't worry about it just move on and focus on what's ahead and you know things happen all the time and you've got to adjust like being adaptable is a huge part of preparing for any of these sort of events and being as consistent as you can but but no one's perfect and no preparation's perfect so the most we can think about is um is just making sure that you don't yeah try to make it up and everyone goes through setbacks, you know, it um, happens to everyone. So how, how you manage that and, and recover and, and get back into it faster, you can actually get an advantage if you if you have a good, um, you know, if it's an injury, if you follow a good rehab program. Yeah, and I was just going to add, Chris, again, from a sort of a psychological perspective, the black and white thinking around what it should look like is probably the biggest issue. And like both of you, you said the reality is if you look at everyone's training plans, you're going to have very, very, very few people who hit every single thing in the same way that they had intended right from the start. It's human nature and life means that things are inevitably going to get in the way. So getting rid of the expectation that things like you have to be 100% fulfilling that plan. That's a good start. If you think through the reality of how it's going to go, some weeks will be great. Other weeks won't. And there's probably some middle ground in there around what it will actually look like for most people. And if you can work towards that middle ground in terms of your expectations, obviously making sure you're taking on board coaching advice and, and some of the things that Benita just mentioned, but also it, it might well be suited to a more open-ended goal for the training program. Open goals are, are much more about building your accomplishments and sort of logging each step of the way rather than trying to chase down this endpoint that you're sort of fixated on. And so it might help you move away from that notion that you need to deliver every single day according to your plan. And instead, it might help you sort of focus on where you've started and the progress you've made since then. And, you know, just adding to that progress uh, as you get closer and closer to the start line. So again, depending on on what your goal is and and where you're at with the event, um, that might be one option. Nice one. Well, we're nearly 10 minutes past the hour, so we better wrap things up. Thank you to everyone who has joined us today. And thank you to our panel members. 
for spending the time to, to help everyone with your advice in leading into the event. Good luck to everyone that's doing the event. I hope you have a, have a good run and enjoy yourself out there. And um, you will see the Southern Cross University folk on course and, and in the recovery tent as well. So feel free to say hello. And we've also got our um, Southern Cross University clinic at the Gold Coast campus. And we offer a range of different services from exercise science, exercise physiology, osteotherapy, podiatry, podorthics, all those sorts of things. So that's somewhere that you can go to um, see an expert if you need to on any of those types of um, issues. But other than that, we will leave it there. Thanks all. And um, see you at the Gold Coast Marathon. Mm -hmm.